unless you're going to move around. I shouldn't be. Okay. Well, good evening. Let's go to Psalm chapter number 33. Psalm chapter 33. Okay, I get these coughing fits, so hopefully we'll keep that under control with a little bit of lemon tea there. Psalm chapter number 33. So a little context here. Uh, I started uh, a, a bit of a study on the subject of waiting about two and a half to three months ago. And it seemed to just kept stalling out and stalling out. There's so much there. And what I want to do tonight really is kind of introduce it to you and get you about as far as I've gone. But I think you'll find good value in it. And it was it was ironic to me to to be trying to study on the subject of waiting, and I just couldn't seem to bring it to a conclusion. It's like the Lord said, you're going to wait. So that's how it goes. Psalm chapter 33, verse number 20. The psalm writer here says, uh, Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in Thee. So I want to teach tonight, hopefully give instruction tonight, on the virtue of waiting. Um, would you agree with me that learning to wait is difficult? Yes. Uh, when, when the Lord asks us to wait, He never asks us for the right timing when we're prepared to wait. He just puts it in your life and um, he'll, he'll sit you down and cause you to just have to wait. On something, whether it's a, an event, whether it's on an answer, uh, whether it's on healing, any number of things that we face in our lives, and God just says, I just want you to wait. Uh, it's important for us to remember that God is not interested in time, but He is interested in timing. And maybe you've said that, I'm not sure, but the, the timing of the Lord is what He's interested in. He doesn't really particularly care about our time frame. <clears throat> But we've all been faced with that time of having to wait, and uh, usually when you don't want to. And the reason is, firstly, because it's uncomfortable to wait, especially as men, because most of us are hardwired to want to get something moving. We want to take action in something. So when God says, wait and sit still and be patient, it's uncomfortable because we have to sit back and do nothing sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. But it's also confrontational because if you're a, a doer and you're having to just abide in time and wait for the Lord to work something out, it's confrontational because you start to learn things about yourself and you can learn very quickly about how impatient you are. You can learn, and please bear with me when I say this, about how fleshly and carnal you are. Because our, you know, sometimes we say God did such and such and we did it. It's just God wasn't involved in it. And, and when you're having to wait, when God takes all of that away from you, it's confrontational when you look in the mirror and see yourself and you don't like what you see. I think about Psalm 69.3, and I've got a number of verses here. and Might as well look at them when we're this close. But Psalm 69.3. 
And I think all of us can relate to this sometimes. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. You ever been in that place? And you just think I'm at the end of myself. I've cried myself out. My throat's dry. Tears are dried up now. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting is generally, as I can see it in the scriptures, generally accompanied with other lessons. Uh, One of the lessons I see common to us is the lesson of contentment. Waiting and contentment seem to go together. Now we studied that a little while back with the Apostle Paul, but learning to be content. Learning that how God has brought things to pass in my life is good whether it seems good or not, and just being content, satisfied with the work of God in our life. What I'm trying to say here is that you're never likely to just go through a waiting time without learning something else, and contentment may be one of them. Uh, Another thing that I think goes hand in hand with it here, if you look at Psalm 37, uh, is patience. I want to look at several verses in relation to this, patience. And that one makes sense to us, right? Psalm 37. Uh, That is not rushing the work and the plan of God. (coughs) I beg your pardon. Uh, Are you guys like that? Or am I the only one like that? I want to rush the plan of God. I want to get things moving and, and get His work going and find out what do you have for me next. But Psalm 37 and verse number 7. Rest in the Lord... And wait patiently, right, for Him. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now, I understand the context may be different than the way we're applying it tonight. But the fact is, is that patience is often a lesson that's being learned while we're waiting. Uh, Another verse here, Psalm chapter number 40. Psalm chapter number 40 and verse number 1. I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Well, there's implied in that verse that it took time. Because that's what, come, that's what patience is. is taking time. Allowing the, the plan of God to work out in our lives. I have to be patient. Um, I was thinking also in, in this context... Uh, of James chapter 5 about the husbandman that waiteth for the, the early and the latter rain. And he's, he's, he's waiting patiently for God to bring it about in its due time. Uh, I know in Wyoming, you know, we're very dry. Where I grew up is high desert and it's very dry. And there's just such a short window of opportunity for, for the hay to be able to be uh, as healthy as it can be. And, but brought in early enough, you know, so you're, you don't want to wait too long where it dries all the way out, but you want to bring it in early enough where it's still good for your animals. And there's just such a small window of opportunity. And I, I mean, growing up in that area, it was, wasn't was uncommon at all, and I suppose probably anywhere, where once that hay is ready, they're, they're, they're cutting night and day, night and day, night and day, night and day. But they got to wait 
they got to wait until it's ready. It cut too early and it lacks the nutrients. You cut too late and again you miss out on the health of the hay for the animals. And that's the way the Lord is with you and I. The Bible tells us that he's a husbandman. And as a husbandman, he'll wait for the early and the latter rain. And what to us feels like if we don't do this right now, if God doesn't act for us right now, if this thing doesn't take place right now, you know, we're gonna, everything's gonna come apart at the seams. The wise husbandman is waiting saying, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. He wants you to be patient. Like he's patient. And that's what the psalm writer was saying here. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And, you know, we don't get our prayers answered often on the first time out. And the second. And the third. And that's when often we step in and we start making things happen. And we say, praise the Lord. But the Lord, I think, often says, I didn't do that. But when we leave it in the hands of God, and I mean genuinely leave it in the hands of God, we'll, we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll be stretched and our faith will be increased because God brings it to pass in due time. Waiting patiently. And then we can say, and the Lord heard me and he answered me. And those are better answers, wouldn't you agree? Um, <clears throat> trust and faith. Those accompany waiting. Trust and faith being that God will do what is best according to His Word. Look over at Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. And you put yourself in the context here of the nation of Israel and they know they need help. And... Uh, they know that they're surrounded by their enemies and they know that there's certain destruction on the horizon if God doesn't step in. in Isaiah 51.5, he says, My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arms shall they trust. What is he talking about? That again, God's timing in the thing will be right, but it, you learn to trust God while you're learning to be patient, while you're learning to be content, while you're waiting and waiting and waiting on God. Uh, God, again, this thing needs to happen at such and such a time, so these aren't they so closely tied together, aren't they? It's hard to pull them apart, but he says, I'm, I'm testing your faith. I'm growing you. And there's no way we're ever going to grow in faith unless it's stretched and challenged. Uh, we just don't, we don't do that on our own. God has to do it for us, and so He does that through the waiting time. Quietness is another lesson I see common with waiting. We're not turbulent in our spirit. We're not turbulent in our minds and our hearts. In Lamentations 3.26, He said, It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Quietly wait. I, again, are you like me? When you start getting to that uncomfortable stage of the waiting period, you start talking to people. You, you start explaining why something needs to happen. You, you start hopefully throwing out, maybe the Lord will use this person if I talk to them, or use this one if I talk to them. 
and and we lose the quietness that God wanted us to have. And so we see this whole picture coming together then of waiting and waiting is going to test you in your contentment. It's going to test you in your faith. It's going to test you in your patience. It's going to test you in your quietness because God wants us to be quiet. And he wants us to be, as he said, he wants us to be in the in the Psalms. And I forget what Psalm it is. It might be 117 where he says that we, we're quiet and we can rest ourselves on the, on the breast, on the bosom uh, of our Lord the way a child does in the bosom of his mother. What is that? They can just lay in the breast and be quiet. And that's what he's talking about. Just be quiet. Be contented without having to plead. That's the picture there, without having to plead for something, to be fed. You know, the baby that's being weaned from the breast is constantly, when they get anywhere near that, they want to be fed. They want to be cared for. They want something. And God says, no, what I want you to do is I want you to just rest and be quiet. And just trust me. And so those lessons are associated with waiting. Now, there may be others. I'm sure there are. And it depends on where we are in our Christian life. On what God will grow us, excuse me, which which area God will grow us in. But the fact is, is that waiting is the fundamental issue here that God is using. I want to make a few statements. And the first thing I want to say is that waiting is never without purpose. If God has you in a time of waiting, there's always a purpose. And we can just trust God because he's good to us. And if he has you waiting, it's because he loves you enough to teach you something. Uh, there's always a goal to be pursued. And it will always be something that will help us spiritually. If we'll just wait. Um, I also want to say that waiting time isn't meant to be lazy time. And numb, mind-numbing time. We're not just supposed to put our brain in park and sit back and say, well, okay, God, whatever you do, and you go ahead and do it, and I'll just wait for you here, and whenever you're done, you let me know. That's not how the Lord works. Uh, it's not passive. Waiting isn't passive and unresponsive. There's something to be done. And so I said this in my notes. I say, waiting is still the pursuit of the will of God and the person of God, even if that is only our disposition Toward the word of God and the will of God and the leadership of God. Do you understand what I mean by that when I say our disposition? Uh, that really is what the will of God's about more than location. It's about your attitude toward what God is saying to you and how he's prompting you. That's how you find the will of God. My attitude toward him and his word. And so... This this waiting time isn't meant to be God just you know put me wherever you want me to be and teach me whatever I'm supposed to know and I'll just hang out and watch a movie and get back to me when you're done. There's a pursuit. There's a searching. There's a meditating, considering. What is the Lord doing? What's He teaching me? Why is He teaching me this? What does he want me to do with what he's teaching me? How am I going to apply this and use it to be a blessing to someone else and grow them? Now, what I don't, I want you to be careful of something here, and that's that don't mistake my statement of pursuing the will of God. Don't mistake the pursuit of God 
to be equivalent to activity. Because it's not about, well, God's trying to teach me something, so I just need to do a whole lot more, and that's how I'll figure it out. That's maybe the exact opposite of what God wants from you. It's not, pursuing the will of God is not about activity. You can pursue the mind of the Lord without being immersed in activity. Are we thinking or am I just not making sense tonight? Well, I, I, God's got me in a waiting period here and, and I don't know what He wants me to do next. So I know what I'll do is, is I'll go out and I'll, I'll knock more doors because that's, that's how I'm going to know the will of God for my life. Maybe not. Maybe the problem is, is that the activity we're involved in is a little bit heartless. It's more rote than routine. And God's saying, I want you to do these things for a different purpose. I don't want you to immerse yourself in more activity. I just want you to do what you do because you love me. And there's a big difference between pursuing God in that capacity and pursuing Him by just adding more and more and more and more. All you do is cloud the voice of the Lord with activity. All right. So let's understand the waiting. Uh, in the Word of God, the Word is and its derivatives, <coughs> excuse me, are used in a variety of contexts, and they each one determine how we're to understand the Word because it's not always used the same, and it's a very unique word in the Bible. Uh, the word "wait" can mean two opposite things. On one hand, it can mean be busy. On the other hand, it can mean sit still and be quiet. And the context tells you what you're to understand about it. When you're sitting still and being quiet, God's intention for you is to slow down or even sometimes stop. But to have expectation and anticipation as he's teaching you, speaking to you, instructing you. On the other hand, it might be get busy and go into action. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What's he talking about there is about, uh, actually that verse is interesting. It can be go both ways. But it's about be active in what God tells you to do. And as you're active in what God tells you to do, he'll give you your strength. He'll give you your, your renewed strength. He'll give you your direction. He'll help you to mount up and to be stable in your life and so on and so on. All right, let's come back to slow down, stop, and just have some expectation. This is in the sense of being in a state of rest or non-motion. And it is most commonly phrased in the Bible this way, wait for. The other one is phrased this way, wait on. All right, so think about this. I'm to wait for the Lord. That might mean just be calm, sit still, and let God work his plan. And while I'm waiting for, he may say, I also want you to wait on me. I want you to serve me. I don't want you to be lazy. I want you to do the things that I've told you to do while you're waiting for me. Does that make sense? 
Now you go the other direction. I can be waiting on the Lord and get active and do what I'm supposed to do, be a witness, read my Bible, spend my time in prayer, all those things. And I can be active waiting on the Lord. And while I'm doing that, I'm waiting for the Lord to give me a word, to give me understanding, to give me definitive direction. Now, someone who doesn't understand the difference between waiting for the Lord and waiting on the Lord, they're really difficult to pin down. Because they generally tend to be more, more activity is what makes me spiritual. Doing more is what really shows that I love the Lord. But they're missing waiting for God. And so it happens, and I've watched it a hundred times. Somebody, they get discontented, they can't seem to find a mind of the Lord, and so they make a change. And they're happy with that for a little period of time, and but, but they still don't know really what God wants. They don't have a definitive direction yet, so they start getting agitated in that, and then they got to make another change. And they still don't know the mind of the Lord yet, but they know what they want, but they're not sure what God wants yet, and so they're... They're back into this agitated state again, and so now they've got to make yet another change. They're not waiting for God. They're deceiving themselves into thinking that they're serving the Lord by doing more and more and more and adding this and changing this and changing that. So they're waiting on God, but they're not waiting for God. Do you guys see the difference there? Uh, I hope this helps you. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4, the Bible tells us that the disciples were instructed to go to Jerusalem and they were to wait for the promise of the Father. He did not say, now get out there and you, you start preaching and you start doing this and you start doing this and you start doing this and doing this and doing this and that that's how God's going to speak to you. He said, I want you to go. And then I want you to wait. And you're going to wait for God to give you the promise that he gave to you. Now, they didn't know how long that was going to take. And they could have gotten agitated and said, well, you know, we're up in this upper room. We've been here for 30 days. What in the world are we going to, you know, what are we up to? Did he not already tell us this? We better just get out there, boys, and start making something happen. And if they'd have done that, it would have been a disaster. They'd have lost their lives most likely. God said, no, I want you to wait for me. It's a great lesson. That's the most difficult of the waitings, is waiting for God. Waiting on God is not nearly as difficult. Because it's easy to add activity in. Would you agree with that? It's easy to add activity in. It's not easy to sit still and then allow the Lord the time that he wants to work out his plan in your life. So he said, wait for the promise of the Father. There's nothing more for you to do, disciples, other than just be in Jerusalem and wait. And that might be the case in your life. I was thinking about some of the young people, and I know, you know, uh, look, I was almost 29. I was only a few months short of 29 when, uh, when Shiloh and I were married. And I remember at 23 and 24 thinking, I'm this, you know, my life is going to come to an end and I'm not going to get married and, <laughs> you know, what in the world? And, and the Lord just kept saying, wait and wait and wait and wait. And that was tough. 
when you're single, it's tough to wait. But I'm telling you, the best thing you can do in your life when it comes to the second most human decision you'll ever make, second most important human decision you'll ever make, excuse me, is you better wait for God. And while you're waiting for God in that decision, you need to wait on Him and serve Him and be faithful to the things that He's called you to do. Uh, let's see. We doing okay? All right. Uh, I'm going to skip over that. We'll come back to it. Um, how about these guys? Uh, the Bible over and over and over again talks about those that were lying in wait. Lying in. What were they doing? They're just finding a place to be until an opportune moment takes, allows them to take the life of another or to rob another. That's by far the greatest use of that phrase in the Bible, wait, lying in wait. But do you see what God's teaching us there? Those guys were waiting on Paul. You know what they were willing to do? Fast and sit still and bide their time and wait for the circumstances to work out. Of course, God didn't allow it, but wait for the circumstances to work out and then take the opportunity. It's a great illustration of how we should be in our Christian lives. Just be where you're supposed to be. Just do those things that God told you to do. And wait for it. Alright? Um, so that's that's slowing down with expectation and anticipation. How about <coughs> continuing in action? This is in the sense of carrying out service. It's, the, it's again commonly represented by the phrase... Wait on the Lord or wait on something. For instance, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 2, there was a little maid who was waiting on Naaman's wife. And so she's a servant, right? That's, that's in 2 Kings 5 2. Waited on Naaman's wife. Uh, I was thinking um, Numbers chapter 3 and verse 10. You can just write this down as well. Numbers 3 10. And God tells the, the uh, Levites there, boy, I'm telling I'm having a hard time getting my thoughts collected. Tells the Levites there, he says, I, I want them to wait on their priest's office. What was that about? I want you to serve in that office and give it its due attention. So whatever I instruct you to do as a priest, I want you to do that. All right? So again, we can wait for the Lord. And we also may need to wait on the Lord, but not always. Or we can be waiting on the Lord while we're waiting for the Lord. But those are not the same. So let's consider it now in the most difficult context of waiting for. Here's some negative examples. Second Kings chapter number 6. <coughs> Second Kings chapter number 6. Now... Brother Hoots, I want you to feel free, well, anyone really, but I'd like for you to feel free to jump in on any of this, because while I think it's simple, it's also complex, and I don't want to confuse anybody. I think you all, but I do think there's an illustration that would help them, what you're talking about, that's Mary and Martha. Yeah. Mary's waiting on the Lord to speak to her, right. while Martha was busy waiting on the Lord being conversant. Right. Peace. Right. And critical of the guy or the woman who's waiting. 
clear to us that we, if we wait on the Lord and we're in the right spirit, somebody's going to criticize us for not being busy. Right. Did everybody get that? Can I repeat it for these guys at home? So the illustration given is Mary and Martha there in Luke chapter number 10, and uh, where Mary's sitting at the feet of the Lord to hear his word. Is that the one you're referring to? Yes, sir. Okay. Because I was thinking too, I was thinking of Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. Yep. And Mary waited for the Lord to call her out to him too, there too. Yep. But uh, Luke chapter 10, Mary sat at the feet of the Lord and heard his word, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. And and the one cumbered about much serving gets agitated with the one who's sitting and waiting. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, negative examples here. Second Kings. I've lost my place. Second Kings, chapter number six and verse number thirty-three. All right. Now before we read this, let's set some context. Uh king of Syria <coughs> had attacked the kingdom of Israel, the northern tribes. And he was, Elisha was able to give him instruction on how to move and this kept going on where he'd move and move and finally the king of Syria said, who's, who's telling my thoughts to the king of Israel? Who in the world, who's the traitor? Somebody said, it's not a traitor, it's Elisha. He knows what you think about when you're on your bed. So he goes to get him, and remember that Elisha and his servant are in the house, and the servant sees all the armies around, and one thing led to another. They saw the armies of God, and, and then they were the armies of Syria were smitten with blindness, and so they led them quietly back to Samaria, where the king of Israel was. And the king of Israel said, should I smite? Should I smite? And Elisha said, would you smite those that you took captive in the warfare? In other words, he's saying, these guys are sitting ducks, and you didn't even fight to get to the place you're in now. You don't, you don't kill your prisoners of war. You care for them, and you send them back. And so he did. He fed them, and he sent them home. Well, you know what the king of Syria did? Turned back around and started attacking Israel again. Only this time, they ended up in such a state where there's no food, and there's very little water, and they're eating everything in sight. And, and so he's, he's agitated. And this, the next chapter is, uh, uh, well, let's go ahead and read verse number 33. Well, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 33. And while he talked with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and said, Behold, this, e this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? He's mad at Elisha and he's, he's mad at him because he said, if you'd have let me kill them when I had an opportunity, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. And now we're in this place where everybody's starving to death and women are eating their children and, and I mean, it just went from bad to worse. And he said, so how, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? The Lord's not going to do anything. If we don't do something, nothing's going to be done. And I want you to see from this that Jehoram is an example of someone who resented waiting for the Lord. Now, there's no doubt it was an uncomfortable situation, and I'm not suggesting suggesting that it was a light issue. But he he was resenting waiting for God to work the circumstance out. 
It's horrific. It's outside of his control. And he expresses his heart in the matter. If you back up to verse number 31, then then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. Why? Because he stopped him from killing the king that's now besieging him. But Elisha sat in the house and the elders sat with him and the king sat, uh, <clears throat> sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, see ye. How this son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head. Look when uh, the messenger cometh. Shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with him, them, behold, the messenger came down unto him. And he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? He's just angry. He's, he's showing his heart. Fury toward Elisha. Resentment toward waiting for the Lord. So I want to just draw a lesson from that and say that we need to be careful that we don't resent waiting for the Lord, even though the circumstances are really bad. Because our hearts get turned against the Lord in, in these difficult times like this. And uh, if I can just use our own, our own situation with Shiloh, if, if you let me draw off of that. Because it seemed to me at, at one point there in those last few days of her life, it just, I had a sense, it just seemed to me that there was a turning point, there was a crossroads. There was an opportunity to get angry and to resent what had been taking place and why we weren't seeing the healing. And I just had to make a choice. I, and I remember it clearly. I just had to make a choice in that hospital room. I'm not going to get angry at the Lord. I'm not going to second guess the situation. I'm not going to do that. And you've probably been in circumstances like that, but it's a very real struggle. And then, because you, you can turn the other direction and say, well, Lord, we did this, 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 we prayed, we did, we did, we did, we did, we did, we did, and we thought we had a promise from you, so what are you doing? Why aren't you healing her? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't... And it just takes that one moment of decision to send you down the road of bitterness and resentment against what the Lord's doing in your life. Now, I'm not setting myself up as an example. I don't mean it that way. But I remember the battle in my mind and my heart on that day to have to say, Lord, I'm not going to get upset about this. This is your plan. You do what's right. And then just give grace. Just give grace. That's what we're going to need is grace. You've probably all faced that situation at some point in your life. But God, I just need the grace because I don't want to have resentment against your plan while I wait. Um, our resentment comes from a feeling of injustice that the Lord failed to work on our behalf. That's what this guy's upset about. Uh, it begins with doing the right thing with the wrong spirit. Did he not do the right thing in sending, giving them food and sending them home? But his heart wasn't in it. 
So when the tables turned, he immediately turns against the Lord. Alright, second one. John chapter 5. Be careful of resentment while you're waiting for the Lord. John chapter number 5. <coughs> I hope you guys don't mind me sharing that kind of thing with you. It just helps me to maybe communicate it when I can be a little more personal like that. John chapter number 5 and verses 3 to 5. They're at the pool of... Uh, I just lost the name. Bethesda. They're in Bethesda. And verse number 3, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? All right, they're waiting. And here's, here's the problem here. This is why this is a problem. The great multitude at the pool of Bethesda is an example of those with misdirected waiting. Because they're waiting for the angel to come down and stir the water for them to get healing. They're not waiting on God. They're not waiting for God. They're not waiting for their healing from the right place. They wanted healing, but it was misdirected. Basically, they're hoping for good luck. I want to be the lucky one that gets in when the moving of the water takes place. Here's a lesson I'd like to learn from that. While the result we desire may be motivated by a pure heart, it's the Lord that we need and not just good fortune in our lives. We can't allow good intentions to direct us away from dependence on the Lord. So in the first case, we saw somebody who was resenting waiting for the Lord. In this case, we see people who were misdirected in their waiting. They're not looking to the Lord. And um, again, I want to say that it's easy for us to do that, get misdirected in how we're waiting. And we're looking to the hand of man instead of the hand of the Lord. All right, let's keep moving. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. This is a rehearsal of Israel's history. And in Psalm 106, verses 13, 14, and 15, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. The children of Israel grew impatient, and they become an example of someone who neglected waiting for the Lord. They neglected their waiting for the Lord. So he gave them their request, but he sent leanness unto their soul. This is an interesting one. The word leanness means to have lack or to suffer need. 
So think about that. He gave them what they asked for, but they lacked and suffered need in their soul. They lacked the normal work of God on the inside because of their failure to wait and seek for the counsel of God in the matter and desire of their food. Does that make sense to you? We're going to get the food. We're going to ask God for food because that's what we need. We believe that's what we want. That's what we need. So we ask God for food. And God says, it's fine. I'm going to give you the food. But on the inside where I'm normally working, you get leanness there. You lack. So physically, you get what you think you need. But spiritually, it goes lean. And it's because they neglected to get, to, to get counsel from the Lord. They were neglecting their waiting for God. Wait for God to bring the food the right way, children of Israel. Wait for Him to determine what you need and when you need it and why you need it. But you get out there and start complaining about the provision He's given to you. And so He may answer that prayer. And as the old saying goes, you may get what you want, but you'll lose what you've got. And what they lost was the work of God on the inside. And you and I don't want to be guilty of that when we're waiting for God. We want to wait for Him to bring what we need. At the right time, for the right reason. Okay. So we should learn by this that our circumstances may not be to our liking, but we must ask God for His counsel on the matter. Wait for Him to respond, lest we end up lusting after something that isn't for our good, and at the same time tempting God in the matter we're lusting after. Wait. Here's some positive examples. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, the Bible tells us that Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. What was he doing? He was waiting on God in the temple while he waited for God to bring the Messiah. We're going to look at a couple of these and actually read them. So I've just given that to you for your own study. Luke 2, 25 and 26. And then we talked about the disciples in the upper room in Acts 1 and verse 4. And then in Job, there's a good one. Let's grab Job. And we're just going to look at a couple more things here and then I'll finish up. Job chapter number 14. Okay, while you go into Job chapter 14, here's what I want you, and I've said it already, but I want you to hopefully lock it away in your heart. Luke 2, 25, 26, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had anticipation and expectation from the Lord. The disciples went to the upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. There was an anticipation and an expectation from the Lord. Here in Job chapter number 14, verses 14 and 15, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait Till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. Job expected, anticipated that God was going to get, was going to raise him up. <clears throat> God was going to be at work in his life. And the thing that was most miserable and vexing and plaguing in the life of Job, God was going to apply his hand to it at some point. <clears throat> He says, all the days, get it wrong here, all the days of my appointed time will I wait. 
And who's he waiting on? The Lord. Anticipation and expectation. Psalm chapter 130. Let me give you just a couple more and I promise we're done. Psalm 130. Psalm 130 and verse number 5 and (coughs) 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. What does he have? Anticipation and expectation that the Lord is going to work. So he's waiting for the Lord. So I'll give you these points. We'll come back to it another time, maybe if the Lord allows. That's my famous, I didn't get through my notes saying. Uh, some Some good things that we learn about waiting for the Lord. There's goodness that comes from the Lord when we wait for Him. There's goodness and blessing that comes. Secondly, We will not be ashamed when we wait for the Lord. God's not going to send us away in a shameful state when we're waiting for Him. Thirdly, gladness and joy are the fruit of those who wait for the Lord. And lastly, waiting for the Lord turns our hope toward Him rather than our circumstances.